So intergenerational equity would suggest that when you are compensating people for their labor, we should also be putting aside the money today when they're working today. And that's not what's happening with OPEB. That is what's happening with pensions. You can certainly make an argument that we should be putting more aside for pensions, but the unfunded liability of the pension systems of New York City are are much lower than the you know roughly 95% unfunded ratio of the OPEB system. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Carol Kellerman from Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us for this episode. If you've missed any of the previous dozen or so episodes that we've done, make sure you go and find those. We've had a lot of interesting guests, a lot of interesting topics. Uh, You can find those at the Gotham Gazette website, at the CBC website, and wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, etc., etc. If you want to give us some feedback or spread the word on Twitter, we're at Gotham Gazette and at CBCNY. I'm at TweetBenMax. Today, we are joined by Thad Calabrese, Associate Professor of Public Finance at the Wagner School of Public Service at NYU and the author of a new CBC report that we'll be discussing. Welcome, Thad. Thank you for having me. And for our data point today, Carol... Our data point today is $95 billion. That is the current value of all of the future retiree benefits except pensions already earned by current retirees and current workers of New York City. This amount, referred to as OPEB, or Other Public Employee Benefits, is primarily the cost of health insurance for New York City employees, their spouses, and families. Unlike pension benefits, for which there is a specially set-aside fund into which the city and employees make regular contributions, OPEBs are paid out of the city's annual operating budget. There's very little set-aside to cover these costs should pressure on the city budget make it difficult to pay them without squeezing city services, and accumulated obligation has almost doubled since 2006, amounting to about $30,000 for each household in the city. Because the growth in these costs has been and continues to be so dramatic, we at CBC asked Professor Calabrese to take an in-depth look at the city's OPEB obligations, compare them to those of other cities around the country, and to help guide the CBC trustees in recommending actions the city should take to establish more appropriate benefits and funding arrangements. He'll tell us about his new report just out today, and we'll discuss its details and implications. Thanks for being here, Thad. Thank you. So, $95 billion is our data point, very big number. That's even larger than the very large $85 billion city operating budget, annual operating budget. Um, And we've got a term here, unfunded liability, which is sort of a scary term to folks like Carol and and to me and, and many others who are familiar with what that term means. So just describe a little bit more before we dig into lots of other details, the severity of the obligation here. Well, the the OPEB obligation um, is, uh, as, as Carol indicated, is about ninety five billion dollars, with uh, a little bit under five billion set aside in a in a retiree health care trust account. So that ninety billion dollars is is money that the city will be paying out over time to uh, current and future retirees. Um, to put it in in um, 
uh, in, in budgetary terms, the city currently spends um, about 3% of its operating budget on these OPEB costs. Um, the, if, if left to the current trend, uh, um, if, if, the, if the city doesn't address the, uh, the, the funding of OPEB, this is going to increase from about 3% to over 6% over the next few decades. Um, and 3% may not sound like a lot, but currently the city is spending more on these OPEB benefits than they spend on things such as CUNY or the park system. So there are, uh, there are other services that are being, um, uh, it's not that they're, they're being shortchanged as a result of this, but because the city has to pay these costs, other priorities of the city can't be addressed. And if the city was putting money into a fund the way it is with pension obligations and the fund earned interest, then the city would not have to use its operating funds for this and would have more available for city services. That's, that's really sort of a key takeaway here and one of the key recommendations of this new CBC report is figuring out some way to get the city's arms around this obligation and start planning better. So it's not just every year the city operating budget is putting billions of dollars towards this obligation. Tell us a little bit, how do we get here? <laughs> how, how is it that this is the sort of, I don't know if crisis is the right word. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that word appeared in the report, <laughs> but <laughs> um, how do we get to this point? of this massive unfunded liability? Well, the city began extending health insurance benefits to retirees in the 1960s. Um, it was a relatively inexpensive benefit to extend to workers and retirees back then. Um, you know, as, as an example, uh, when, the, when the city began reimbursing retirees for Medicare Part B premiums, in 1968, that the premiums were about four dollars per beneficiary per month. Um, now they can run into the hundreds per person per month. So the city extended the benefits at a time when they were relatively inexpensive, as did many other cities. And, and one important takeaway is that this is not something that is unique to New York City. Many municipalities and localities across the United States have this issue. But it, was not, it, was, it wasn't even in their financial statements because OPEB was not considered a liability until the government, Governmental Accounting Standards Board uh, required that these obligations be accounted for beginning in 2006. So in 2006, New York City, because of these GASB uh, accounting requirements, put OPEB on the books, and it was a, a tremendously large uh, liability. And it was larger than, than many other cities, in part because the city didn't amortize it over, over many years, as, as the accounting standard allowed. But the other issue was that New York City simply extends more generous benefits to its retirees than many other cities. And, and the city extends more generous benefits to its current employees, right? I mean, this is sort of the connected tissue here. 
Yes, the, the, the theory of it, as, as Thad said, the theory of it at the time was this is a nice thing to do. It only costs $4. It costs very low. The premiums for health insurance were low. We have a big policy because we're covering all the employees. So when they retire, let's keep paying for them and their spouses and their children under 26. What's happened over time is, first of all, it had to be disclosed, which was a new thing. And second of all, um, the costs have gone up dramatically, and we don't expect either employees or retirees to contribute. Um, lots, of lots of other cities have OPEB obligations that are large. No one's as large as ours because every place else virtually requires some contribution from the employees to the cost of their own health care, and we do some things that no one else does. Uh, for retirees. And is, is there more you can say, Thad, about some of those comparisons you did to other cities and uh, the federal government and the state government of New York? New York City, as Carol was just indicating, is fairly unique um, in terms of the way it handles this situation, both for current employees, and I was mentioning before, I remember in 2013 in the mayoral election, uh, you know, there was at least one candidate, uh, Anthony Weiner, talking about we have to require at least something, even if it's $5 a month, you know, something, because not only does that help sort of change some of the mindset a little bit, but um, these obligations are, are huge. But anyway, you uh, compared to other cities. Well, and, and just to follow up on one thing that Carol just said, the interesting thing is that when um, when this benefit was originally given to retirees in the 1960s, there was some cost sharing involved. And then a few years after that, it went away. So that there, is a, there is some precedent that, um, that New York City can do cost sharing uh, with retirees. But really, one of the fundamental differences between New York City and other uh, large cities in the United States is that we have none of this cost sharing, that we effectively have a system that when you have, for lack of a better term, vested into the OPEB system, you your benefits are no different if you've worked 25 years, 35 years. There's no difference once you have once you have earned that benefit. You've earned the entire benefit, and not only have you earned the benefit, but you've earned the benefit for your spouse, uh, which is also uncommon across other cities. Um, and e you can even earn the benefit for uh, your children up to a certain point. We extend the benefit to things like reimbursing for Medicare Part B, which other cities either do not do or cap at a certain percentage or amount. We also, uh, other cities uh, have actually tried to, to begin controlling this. There have been, there have been um, actual uh, successful reform efforts in cities such as San Diego, um, Chicago, uh, hardly a beacon of fiscal prudence, has, has even tried to tackle this issue. Um, so there is New York City, compared to other cities, has a much larger liability uh, than almost all of them and has not shown much interest in, in addressing this as a, as a, as a matter of, of fiscal concern to, to elected officials. And what are you said? A couple of cities are doing some some things. What are San Diego and uh, you said Chicago? What what are they, for example, doing? Or 
what are the models out there for taking some steps to address this? Cities like San Diego and um, and Denver, they've they've basically instead of just having an open ended benefit, they they generally will give retirees a dollar amount that then they allow them to shop for what they want for their benefits. So it's effectively it's equivalent in the pension world to going from a defined benefit where the uh, employer bears all the risk to a defined contribution where uh, that risk is capped to the employer. So those cities have moved in that direction. Uh, It's a a direction that many um, companies have moved towards as well. In Chicago, there was Rahm Emanuel has been dealing with uh, trying to um, reduce OPEB benefits to retirees. It was was wrapped up in 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 a labor negotiation um, and currently that is uh, tied up in litigation but when he came into office he viewed that as one of his prime areas for addressing some of the city's financial troubles but uh, lots of other cities like like Boston or DC require a contribution even if they continue to give um, actual health insurance as opposed to a discretionary account um, to spend on your own, they, they do require sometimes 20, 30 percent of the premium to be paid by the employee, which, which by the retired employee, which substantially reduces the cost to the city. So for those less technically savvy, let me just pause for a moment and say, you know, what we're talking about here is OPEB, other post-employment benefits. Uh, we're largely talking about unfunded liability that city former city employees and their family members, spouses especially, uh, get, are entitled to through collective bargaining forever uh, if they have vested in, in the system. The city has not seemed to take this on. The current mayor, Bill de Blasio, negotiated. He's very proud. There were all the contracts of city workers were expired when he came into office. He's very proud that he's gotten contracts through with 99 point something percent of city workers. Many of those are already coming up for expiration because they were backdated. But this is not something I've heard really discussed around this collective bargaining, but it's something that people should be aware of as the city enters this next round. What should, I mean, what should we be sort of saying and and (laughs) pointing out, those of us in media, those of us in think tanks and advocacy, you know, what should be sort of uh, on the table here, what should we be discussing as the city enters this next round of collective bargaining? Well, what we what we have addressed in this report is two interconnected issues. One is that we are not we are not saying that these benefits should be completely eliminated tomorrow. That is, you know, unreasonable and it's just not realistic. What we have said is that these benefits, as currently offered, are not financially sustainable, and therefore we, we are advocating for a cost-sharing arrangement, roughly in, 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 in line with other municipalities, that would effectively do two things. One, it would reduce the amount that the city has to pay out of the operating budget every year, so that there would be some budgetary savings, but also that it would reduce what is called the normal cost, which is 
the amount that current employees who haven't yet retired but will be entitled to these benefits in the future, reducing that cost as well. So that if we can reduce both, both of those by roughly 50%, the city will be in a much more financially sustainable state. Secondly... Before you get to that, can, can the city renegotiate for current retirees? Can, can they adjust those benefits in a new collective bargaining agreement? The, the unions can do that, that's possible? Or should it only be for those not yet retired? Um, OPEB benefits are not protected uh, the same way that pension benefits are, so they could be renegotiated. The other issue is if budgetary savings is a goal, the only way to achieve budgetary savings is to actually change the benefits of current retirees because it's been funded on a pay-as-you-go basis. So there is no way to reduce those budgetary outflows without altering the benefits uh, that current retirees are already given. And th- this, this pay-as-you-go is not how pensions work. Correct. So uh, there's obviously a very clear discrepancy there. There's, there's sort of uh, um, some financial, uh, I don't want to say malfeasance, but there's, there's a problem with that approach, right? I mean, at least in the pension system. However, we should note that with pensions, the city is also kicking in from its operating budget every year because there's obligations that have to be met. But the difference is that the city is kicking in money from the operating budget this year into a pension trust fund for workers who are working this year. The, the, the money from the operating budget that the city is putting into OPEB from this year is paying for workers who retired after it may not have it may not even be employed by by the city of New York anymore and and we consumed their labor decades ago so intergenerational equity would suggest that when you are when you are compensating people for their labor we should also be putting aside the money today when they're working today and that's not what's happening with OPEB and that is what's happening with pensions you can certainly make an argument that we should be putting more aside for pensions, but the unfunded liability of the pension systems of New York City are are much lower than the you know roughly ninety five percent unfunded ratio of the OPEB system. That's fascinating because we had an episode of this podcast talking about those pension liabilities, and now that seemed fairly stark and troubling. But now we're talking about something that's even more uh, of a liability. But the other, the other, the other um, reform yes, that, that we that we mention in in this is that we want to reduce the amount um, coming out or going to to current retirees, but we also want to actually increase the amount of money that is going to the uh, OPEB trust, so that assets can be accumulated, that these liabilities can be pre-funded over time that the the result is that earnings on those assets can help reduce the stress on the operating budget. Um, the trust is currently, there's no real policy about how the trust is used. Inflows are made sort of at the discretion of the city. The outflows are uh, pay for current retirees, but those inflows are, you know, sort of made on an ad hoc basis. And so we want we would like the city to start treating the trust as a trust, less as a reserve account, where they can, if need be, they can put less than they need in. 
uh, if there are some assets in there. And we're, we're saying, you know, if this, these liabilities, these obligations of the city need to be pre-funded in a systematic and rational way, we've presented a proposal to do that and, and to, to make the trust an actual fiduciary trust of the city of New York and less of an operating reserve account. So to, to summarize, and then Carol, uh, jump in either with what you're about to say, or, you know, I'm also interested, and I think many people would be in, you put out this report, you have these two major recommendations, you know, where does it go from there? How does CBC approach the next steps? But just to recap quickly, the two major recommendations are get um, empl- employees and retirees to contribute some and prefunding. Right. And, and train, changing the sort of structure of this um, retiree health benefit trust to make it much more sort of institutionalized and, and have some protocols. That's correct. I was going to pick up on that last oh, point about please. the prefunding. Um, there is a retiree health benefit trust, which now has more than $4 billion in it. And it is a trust, which means that you're only allowed to take money out to pay for retiree health benefits. So And those retiree health benefits, just to pay for the premiums for the current retirees, are growing. They're now around $2.5 billion a year, but they're growing. So there's not enough money in there to pay for more than one and a half years of premiums. It was created in 2006, and the Bloomberg administration put money in and then took money out. And I would say that the de Blasio administration is very proud of the fact that they have put a great deal of money relative to the past into this account. But when you hear them talk, or you hear other people who have designs on some of the city's funding for their issues, they all say, well, we have the highest amount of reserves ever. And when they say reserves, they're including what's in this trust. So someone who wants us to pay, for example, more money to the MTA says, well, you have $4 billion in reserves. Use some of that. This, this number that is really the money in the Retiree Health Benefit Trust is being referred to by everyone, including the administration, as extra money. It's great we've accumulated it. And we are saying, no, that is not extra money that you have accumulated that can be used for other priorities. It's the beginning of what should grow to be tens of billions of dollars that is available to pay for the benefits you are promising people today but not paying for now. And so that's an area that we have begun to focus on. There are members of the city council who are advocating that there be legislative standards for how much gets put in every year and when and how much can be taken out so that it could really turn into a valid retiree health benefit trust. And we are going to continue to push for the council to take up this legislation. It has supporters. It should have more. Indeed, we would say that the representatives of the unions whose employees are getting these benefits have an interest in wanting this retiree benefit trust to be clearly restricted to its purpose and to grow, just the way they have an interest in the pension fund being funded on an ongoing basis. So, and if, if that has to happen, 
then some of the money that is being used to pay the benefits will be need to be set aside and it will focus more attention of everyone on the other side of our recommendations which is how do we right size the benefits that we're giving to retirees so that we can reduce the amount that we have to pay now that's interesting because to, it seems to me to get somewhere you need that buy-in right and and to protect uh, future retirees, the labor unions might, um, you know, be willing to take take a look at this, or you'd hope so. Um, and we are, as I said before, in sort of uh, in a new round of negotiations between the de Blasio administration and labor unions. Uh, we have to see, obviously, if the mayor gets reelected uh, for that to then continue under his leadership and his team's leadership. But that's all happening now. And you know, I'll sort of add, if not now, when, when, you know, the city's doing well, the money is flowing, the mayor's been able to put aside all this money in a few different places. uh, And there's, you know, signs of some slowing down, but now seems to be the time, as opposed to what you might expect, which is sort of when things reach a crisis point, right? And you have to sort of be uh, mature enough and, and you know, having a foresight as an elected leader in the city council or in the mayoral administration or as the city controller or public advocate to be, to be pushing for these things when things are going well. And, and just to follow up on that, you don't want to wait for a crisis. You know, a 50% cost share, for example, may seem unpleasant to some, but it's better than a 90% reduction, which is what we've seen in places like Detroit when they've entered uh, bankruptcy. Not to, not to um, imply that New York City is, is facing bankruptcy the way that Detroit did, but the problem is that if you wait for that crisis to happen, the planning that retirees can do um, or even current workers can do becomes compressed and people's lives are really affected by it. So we're here in our last few minutes with Thad Calabrese, a professor at the Wagner School at NYU and the author of a new Citizens Budget Commission report that's out today, the day we're talking. And uh, in our last few minutes here, some say that OPEB liabilities are sort of a theoretical thing that you know we'll never be expected to pay them all at once. Um, we're paying a few billion dollars each year and maybe growing a little. Are they right? Is this not something that could sort of really come due in a dramatic way? OPEB is uh, sometimes referred to as a softer liability than other liabilities. And it's true the city's not being asked to pay $95 billion today. It is, uh, you know, to, to use some technical terms, it's a present value of future benefits. So you take all of those benefits that we've promised people out into the future, you apply a discount rate to make it into uh, a today's dollars, and you bring it back and you add them all up into a present value. So in that sense, yes, it's, it's, the city's not being asked to pay this off tomorrow, but it does represent the amount of money that the city has promised retirees and workers, and it is, a, it is an obligation it is a liability under all accounting standards that exist today. The idea that, that we won't have to pay it, again, we don't have to pay it at one point in time, but we will be paying this over time unless we alter the uh, future benefits of retirees and workers. 
And doesn't life expectancy increasing? Absolutely. That's part of the reason that the liability is increasing, is that that there's a longer lifespan, and so we're paying for retirees for a longer period of time. And the, the principle of intergenerational equity really does have actual live consequences. And what we're, we're doing is we're promising people that we will pay them these benefits over 20, 30, 40 years, and then someone else down the road is going to have to figure out how to pay those benefits when the charges actually come through. And that is what we're saying is, is wrong and is a mistake, is that we should not be incurring obligations today when we don't know how we're going to pay them down the road. And the only way to protect from that is to, first of all, make the benefits we're promising more rational and realistic, and secondly, set aside money so that the people who are incurring these obligations take the responsibility for being sure there'll be money to pay them off later. And I guess last question for me here is, um, you know, you... You have the two main recommendations, but you also have sort of a suite of possible things that could be considered. Do you want to explain a couple of those? You know, one thing that jumped out at me is, you know, ending benefits for spouses of retirees. Um, That's not something you're necessarily saying at CBC that should be done, but this is on the, the menu of things that could make for smart reforms. What we decided to do is instead of of going in with one recommendation, we went in with a recommendation of we we should have a goal of reducing the budgetary pay-go amount by a certain amount, and we should reduce the normal cost, what current retirees um, are earning by a certain amount. And then we we presented a a suite or a, a list of options um, and then costed out each of those options so that um, certain certain of them may be um, more palatable for from a political perspective, but basically we wanted to say here here are a bunch of options that can be you can pick and choose from, and you can still get to the final result that we're recommending. And I'll just say you know uh, another one or two of those mm-hmm. is. Um, changing retirement ages for certain municipal employees, for example, changing police and firefighters to match teacher retirement ages. There's some some interesting recommendations here that are right. all part of the sort of um, the way the, the right. labor negotiation sausage is made and that contracts come out here. Another, another one that would save a great deal of money is to say, you don't have to ret- change the retirement age, but for people who retire from city employment, but then go and work somewhere else for another 10 or 15 years, which is frequently the case, particularly in the uniform forces. If they're working somewhere else, then they should get their employment, their health benefits from the next employer and not pay retiree health benefits unless and until people are truly retired and no longer working anywhere else. That would also save a great deal of money and would not really impinge on anyone's benefits because they're working somewhere else that probably offers health benefits to those who want to take them. Interesting. All right. I guess we'll leave it there. Lots of food for thought, especially as we look at this next round of labor negotiations here in the city. 
Uh, Carol Carolman, thank you for your thoughts. That Calabrese, thank you for your thoughts. You can find the new CBC report out today, The Price of Promises Made, What New York City Should Do About Its $95 Billion OPEB Debt, Other Post-Employment Benefits, uh, at the CBC website and, of course, on its uh, social media channels and such. Thanks for listening to What's the Data Point? Goodbye for this week. Thank you. Bye.